Introducing Bluehost Cloud, ultra-fast WordPress hosting with 100% uptime. Want a website with unmatched power, speed, and control? Of course you do. And now you can have all three with Bluehost Cloud, the new web hosting plan from Bluehost. With 100% uptime and incredibly speedy load times, your WordPress websites will be dependable and lightning fast on a global scale. Plus, your sites can handle even the biggest traffic spikes without going down or lagging. And with Bluehost Cloud, you get 24-7 WordPress priority support, meaning you're connected to WordPress experts anytime you need them. Not to mention, you automatically get daily backups and world-class security. So, what are you waiting for? Get Bluehost Cloud today by visiting bluehost.com. That's bluehost.com. When it comes to weight loss, no two people are the same. That's why Noom builds personalized plans based on your unique psychology and biology. Take Brittany. After years of unsustainable diets, Noom helped her lose 20 pounds and keep it off. I was definitely in a yo-yo cycle for years of just losing weight, gaining weight, and it was exhausting. And Stephanie. She's a former D1 athlete who knew she couldn't out-train her diet, and she lost 38 pounds. My relationship to food before Noom was never consistent. And Evan, he can't stand salads, but he still lost 50 pounds with Noom. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. Even through the pickiness, Noom taught me that building better habits builds a healthier lifestyle. I'm not doing this to get to a number. I'm doing this to feel better. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom users compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Voices for Justice is a podcast that uses adult language and discusses sensitive and potentially triggering topics, including violence, abuse, and murder. This podcast may not be appropriate for younger audiences. All parties are innocent until proven guilty in a court of law. Some names have been changed or omitted per their request or for safety purposes. Listener discretion is advised. My name is Sarah Turney, and this is Voices for Justice. Today I'm discussing the case of Cherry Mahan. First, Have You Seen Me Child Still Lost? That's the 2005 Lancaster New Era newspaper article about eight-year-old Cherry Mahan that really got to me. If you don't know what they mean by the phrase, Have You Seen Me Child? They're referring to the program from the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children. In partnership with media company Veracast and the U.S. Postal Service that features the missing in tiny snippets in newspapers, or more often, adverts now. You probably get them in your mailbox without even noticing them. They're just tiny, one-inch horizontal features, usually on the back page of Red Plum ad booklets. It typically features a picture of the missing person, key details like their name, height, weight, where they're missing from, and who to contact with information. Oftentimes, that's alongside an age-progress photo to estimate what they might look like today. It's the only program that helps share information about my missing sister Alyssa in the first few years that she went missing. So when I saw this article, I knew that I, in part, had Cherry to thank for that. Behind most major legislation or programs to help the missing, specifically missing children, there's a child who isn't here today that inspired said program. Adam Walsh in Code Adam, Amber Hagerman in The Amber Alert, Aton Pates in National Missing Children's Day, usually very well-known names. 
and unfortunately, many cases without resolutions. So when I went searching for information about Cherry Mahan, the first Have You Seen Me child, I was stunned to find out that there was nowhere near as much information about her as Adam, Amber, or really countless cases of other missing children. In fact, if you search Cherry's name on YouTube, it's dominated by a set of psychic sisters determined to find her, alongside a handful of short videos about the case, mostly featuring older interviews of her mom Janice begging for her safe return. In short, I knew I wanted to help. I knew that this community could help get the word out about Cherry's case, because it's not just me that holds out hope that this can be solved. Law enforcement says that they're prepared to keep searching for Cherry until 2085, literally a hundred years after she went missing in 1985. And I know that may seem overly hopeful to some, but there are some major clues in this case that with just one solid witness or a lead could finally lead to answers for Cherry and her family. It's time to bring the first Have You Seen Me Child home. This is the case of Cherry Mahan. It's Friday, February 22nd, 1985 in Winfield Township, Pennsylvania, and eight-year-old Cherry Mahan is looking forward to going to her friend Jennifer's 10th birthday party after school. The final bell rings for her third grade class, and Cherry heads to her school bus to get home and get ready for the party. At about 4.10 p.m., Cherry and three of her classmates get off the bus at their regular stop on Corn Planter Road. This is just around the corner from Cherry's home. A neighbor named Debbie Bark is there, too. She's waiting in her car for her two kids and another child she agreed to pick up from the bus stop. Debbie's there every day and recognizes Cherry. She sees her get off the bus and kind of play and dawdle with the other kids. Now, normally, Cherry's mother, Janice McKinney, or her stepfather, Leroy McKinney, walk to the bus stop to meet Cherry for the short walk back to their home. While news reports have vastly differed about the distance, the bus stop appears to have been no further than 100 to 150 yards away from Cherry's driveway. Basically, it's just around a slight bend in the road, with a long driveway uphill to the home. Winfield Township is in Butler County, and it's about 30 miles north of Pittsburgh. It was and still is a rural area with a low crime rate and a population of just a few thousand people. And though snow was on the ground, the weather was good that day, so the McKinneys decide to let Cherry walk the short distance home by herself. And when I say the bus stop is close, I mean it is very close. So close that Janice and Leroy hear it pull up and hear the kids get off the bus. They figure Cherry will be walking up the driveway in a matter of minutes. But after about five or ten minutes, Cherry still hasn't come home and they start to get worried. They aren't really worried that anything major happened to her at this point, just that maybe she slipped on the snow and fell, got preoccupied playing with friends, or could have been waiting for one of them to come get her like they normally did. So Leroy walks down the driveway and around the corner to check. But Cherry isn't there. By 4.30 p.m., Cherry's parents start looking around the area for her and making calls to see where she could be. They're definitely concerned, but they're not panicking just yet. They figure maybe Cherry went to a friend's house or was just enjoying the better weather outside with the kids from the bus stop. Again, very small town, low crime rate. The thought that something terrible could have happened just wasn't top of mind. But within the hour, they realize that something could be very wrong. And at the very least, they're gonna need some help to find her. So they finally call the police. Officers from the local police authority, Butler Barracks, responded and the searches for Cherry began. 
local police are joined by Pennsylvania State Police, the FBI, around 250 volunteers, bloodhounds, and helicopters to look for Cherry. Her friend Jennifer's birthday party was even canceled so parents could join in the search. It's an all-hands-on-deck situation, but there was just no trace of her. The bloodhounds couldn't pick up the trail, and while investigators were able to find tracks from vehicles in the snow, they couldn't find any tracks from Cherry. So all they can conclude at this point is that it seems like she didn't get very far from the bus stop. Janice has been quoted as saying it was like the earth just opened up and swallowed Cherry. While physical searches for Cherry were not successful, investigators were able to find one major lead after interviewing witnesses at the bus stop, and this lead remains the most critical in this case nearly 40 years later. This episode of Voices for Justice is sponsored by ZocDoc. If you guys have been following my journey on social media, you know that I am in my Sarah era. After everything I've been through over the last couple years, I'm really just focusing on myself and doing that unapologetically. So I have become that one friend in my friend group that loves to treat myself. A lot of the time that looks like a long bath, a face mask, maybe a special foot soak, but I also knew that I needed to make my health a priority. And that's where ZocDoc comes in. ZocDoc is a free app and website where you can search and compare highly rated in-network doctors near you and instantly book appointments with them online. What I really liked is that all the doctors have verified reviews from actual real patients. You don't have to just guess if they're good. ZocDoc is how I found my new doctor. Go to ZocDoc.com justice and download the ZocDoc app for free. Then find and book a top rated doctor today. That's zocdoc.com slash justice, zocdoc.com slash justice. This episode of Voices for Justice is brought to you by Quince. The weather is getting warmer, which means it's time to put away all the sweaters and pants and say hello to shorts and t-shirts. I absolutely was looking to update my wardrobe without spending a fortune, and I went right back to Quince for that. I personally don't love trendy clothes that I have to replace every few months. I am looking to build my solid core collection of essentials, and with the huge selection at Quince, I can do that. They have premium European linen dresses, blouses and shorts from 30 bucks, washable silk tops, they have jewelry, and so much more. One thing I really love about Quince too is that they only work with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing practices. And they only use premium fabrics and finishes, so you're not cutting any corners when it comes to quality. I've really been trying to play with pairing casual with more upscale pieces. So recently I just matched a silk skirt with this black tee that I just love and fits really, really well. I think it came together pretty cute. Get warm weather ready with Quince. Go to quince.com justice for free shipping on your order and 365 day returns. That's Q-U-I-N-C-E dot justice to get free shipping and 365 day returns. Quince.com justice. In addition to the usual vehicles at the bus stop on the day Cherry went missing, witnesses also report seeing a distinct van there that day. It's been described as a blue or green 1970s, possibly 1976 Dodge van, with a large mural of a snowy mountain and a skier on the side. According to reporting by Bianca Hillier from NBC News, Cherry's classmates on the bus remember seeing the van following the school bus that day. Debbie Bark, the woman who saw Cherry while she was waiting to pick up other kids, remembers seeing the van in her rearview mirror. 
as does her son. She told local reporters, quote, I sat in the car and watched the kids get off. They played for a while. I made sure Cherry had walked past the car, then I drove away. I caught a glimpse of the blue van in the mirror. It was right behind me. My son saw the van too. It's worth noting that Cherry was not seen entering this van or speaking with the driver. I've seen some misinformation around this, so I just want to be very clear. Now, aside from the van, witnesses state that there was a blue car seen parked in a driveway near the bus stop, but no further description has been provided. And I wasn't able to find an update on this aside from psychics believing the car may have been involved. I have to assume that the police were able to track down who it was, because as I was researching this case, the car was really just a small side note that was barely ever mentioned. But that is just speculation. So the million dollar question is, who was driving the van with the mural on it? Well, despite this van sounding very unique, according to state trooper at Butler Barracks, Maryland Stackhouse, they found more than 2,000 registrations of vehicles with similar murals. Now, I am not a car person, but I have to try to be for this podcast, so I did some digging on these older 1970s vans. And while I couldn't quite find a model with a ski mural that came pre-painted on vans, I do know that painting on your van or getting it painted was not totally uncommon during this time. In my research, I found vans with all sorts of things painted on them. Names, bad words, murals of horses. I mean, if you can think of it, it's probably been painted on the side of an old van. In fact, Mental Floss has a great piece about this entire phenomenon of custom-painted vans if you're so inclined to go down that rabbit hole. The point is, while it seems like this van would be very unique and easy to find, it just wasn't. Vans matching the description were pulled over all around the state, and a sketch of what it might have looked like was distributed across the country, but they still weren't able to pinpoint the exact vehicle seen on the day Cherry went missing. Not long after, there were dozens of incidents reported of similar-looking vans either stalking or attempting to abduct typically school-age girls. Just about a month after Cherry went missing, on March 27, 1985, a man described as heavyset and in his 30s with dark hair was reported as likely trying to abduct a 12-year-old from her bus stop. He apparently approached her, asked if she wanted a ride to school, and then panicked and sped away when he saw the school bus approaching. And there was another incident of a man in a van chasing two 12-year-old girls in August of 1985, but no connection to Cherry was ever made. This van was their biggest lead, and it really didn't go anywhere. Since her disappearance, Cherry's case really has become a precedent case. Her pictures printed on Prince Brand spaghetti boxes. Truckers helped distribute her flyers alongside the sketch of the van as far and wide as they could. And Cherry becomes the first ever child to be featured in the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children's now infamous Have You Seen Me program in 1985. Like I mentioned at the top of this episode, even if you aren't familiar with this program, you've probably seen these little ads before. Back in 1985, it was mostly a partnership with the Postal Service to deliver postcards. That evolved into newspaper features. And nowadays, more often on Red Plum adverts you get in your mailbox. According to the company that distributes these flyers, Veracast, these typically reach 9 out of 10 households each week, both online and in print. It's a low barrier to entry program that only needs a photo and some information to help spread the word. And it works. I can't tell you how many people over the years have contacted me to let me know that they've seen my sister in one of those ads. 
and that all started with Cherry. But despite all these efforts, the spaghetti boxes, the flyers, the postcards, the implementation of this entire program, there was very little movement in Cherry's case. But people were passionate. By April 1985, neighbors helped raise over $39,000 to offer as a reward. When you account for inflation, that would be over $100,000 today. That is a massive reward. And an additional $10,000 was offered by local business American Hardware Supply Co. as well. This offer was good for 18 months. And if Cherry wasn't found by then or her case wasn't resolved, that money would be donated. And unfortunately, that's exactly what happened. By Christmas 1986, Janice and Leroy move. Janice says they basically stayed in her home for a year, waiting for Cherry to come back. And at this point, she just can't go back there. When you watch Janice's interviews, you can feel her pain. It's clear how much losing Cherry impacted her. She says Cherry was basically her whole world. She had her at just 16 years old, and they basically grew up together. And once Cherry was gone, that world just fell apart. Janice says she began struggling with addiction, to the point where she sold most of her possessions to pay for drugs. And at her lowest point, she even tried to throw herself in front of a moving vehicle. But Leroy held her back. And unfortunately, Cherry's case really does start to slow down. State troopers Marilyn Stackhouse and Lawrence G. Hall worked her case full-time until the middle of 1987. That's when leads started to taper off, and they got reassigned to work other cases. And as these things unfortunately go sometimes, life just goes on without Cherry. In 1989, her brother Robert was born, and Jana says because of what happened to Cherry, she kept him very close. Five years later, in 1994, Cherry's classmates graduated from high school without her. And in 1998, she was legally declared dead as a technicality to release some funds. Cherry had apparently gotten a settlement from a car accident where she'd broken her arm, about $3,500. There was also some reward fund money tied up under her name. Some of these funds were donated to the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children, and some were put away to be given to Cherry's brother, Robert. It's reported that it took the judge less than 15 minutes to grant the request to have her legally declared dead. The law cited was rooted in colonial times, when men didn't return from war. Basically, after seven years without hearing from the person, they could be legally declared dead. Of course, Jana says this didn't mean anyone was giving up on finding Cherry. But unfortunately, there was very little movement in the case for quite some time after this. In 2009, she was entered into NamUs, but it wasn't until 2011 that Cherry's name was back in the news after investigators received new information in her case. This episode of Voices for Justice is brought to you by June's Journey. I'm pretty sure everyone here loves a good mystery, especially one with as many twists and turns as June's Journey. You get to step into the role of June Parker and search for hidden clues to uncover the mystery of her sister's murder. You engage your observation skills to quickly uncover key pieces of information that lead to chapters of mystery, danger, and romance. So what does that mean? Well, June's Journey is a hidden object mystery game. Essentially, you find hidden clues and uncover this mystery. But it's also more than that. You can customize your own luxurious estate island, you can join a detective club, and put your skills to the test in a detective league. 
I like that you can play totally alone, or if you want to play with other people, you can do that too. I find myself playing June's Journey in little breaks during the day, or most frequently at night before I go to bed. Whether you're craving a good mystery or just looking for an escape, I really do recommend June's Journey. Discover your inner detective when you download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. 2011 marked 26 years since 8-year-old Cherry Mahan went missing after being dropped off by her school bus, just around the corner from her house. And in all those 26 years, they had almost no answers. They hadn't been able to locate the van seen near her that day or identify the driver. It was just like Janice said. It was as if the world opened up and just swallowed Cherry whole. But then her name is back in the news again, when Pennsylvania State Trooper Robert McGraw announced that there was a new lead in Cherry's case. In an interview for CNN, he said, quote, Recently, a person contacted Pennsylvania State Police, and they have the potential to be crucial to the investigation in the future. We're highly optimistic that this lead has the potential to bring closure to Cherry's family. Now, Trooper McGraw was very vague about this new development. This is basically all we know. And unfortunately, it doesn't seem like much has come of it. Or if it has, the police aren't telling us. That same year, investigators were also hopeful over what I think is another very different tip. Though honestly, given how tight-lipped the police have been, it could be the same tip, just scooped by the local news. Now, let me explain. This tip was that Cherry might still be alive and living in Michigan. And this appears to have come from a random tipster. Not anyone who knew Cherry or her family directly. But they believed Cherry was alive and well. And investigators were able to connect it to some other tips they'd gotten in the past. Just a few months after Cherry went missing, a woman reports seeing a girl matching her description in a van similar to the one seen at her bus stop at a high school track meet in Michigan. She does call in the tip right away but she says that no one ever followed up. But now, with this new tip of Cherry living in Michigan, they revisited this woman's claims and worked to identify the woman that the tipster says may be Cherry Mahan. Now, this woman did deny being Cherry, but of course, authorities didn't leave it at just that. They reviewed a copy of her birth certificate, went to the high school she graduated from, and looked at photos of her dating back to kindergarten. What we don't know is if they actually confirmed this using DNA. There were reports that they wanted DNA, but no reports to say that it was used to confirm that this woman was not Cherry. But police are satisfied and say that this chapter of Cherry's case was officially closed. By this point, Cherry's case file was thousands of pages long and filled more than seven boxes at the Pennsylvania State Police Department. There were all sorts of tips and sightings about Cherry, that she was working at a Toys R Us in Buffalo, New York, that she was seen alive and well on social media, and there was a CNN feature about Cherry pending. While, of course, tips did continue to trickle in, the case mostly just sat again for several years. That is until 2018, when, around Cherry's birthday, Janice received a very graphic letter that outlined what happened to Cherry. 
And like so many things in this case, we don't know much about this letter other than what Cherry's mom Janice has revealed in her interviews. She says it was graphic and describes who killed Cherry, why, and where her remains can be found. She also revealed that it was signed Pastor Justice. Now, obviously, this is a huge mix of emotions. It's upsetting, but it also sparks some hope that there could finally be answers about what happened to Cherry. Janice turns the letter over to police, but nearly a year later, she says she hadn't heard back from them. When Target 11 News followed up, investigators confirmed that they had the letter and were working on it. They added that they were also working another tip that resulted in them searching a mine shaft in Butler County and a junkyard. But again, it doesn't really seem like anything came of this letter or these searches. This really is a case with a lot of ups and downs. So many promising leads that just seem to go nowhere. No suspects, no person of interest, no solid leads beyond that bus stop. Just a lot of pain and anguish for Cherry's loved ones. And it's clear that Cherry has left a hole in the lives of those who knew her. Janice often discusses how Cherry missed meeting her brother, missed her high school graduation, meeting her niece, how her life was just stolen from her. Janice has since invited the work of psychics to assist in finding Cherry, but those efforts have also come up short in closing this case for good. Now, each year, Janice and Cherry's friends, including Jennifer, the child who Cherry was supposed to celebrate her birthday with the night she went missing, meet for dinner to remember Cherry and honor her memory. But that's pretty much where the case is today. So, what happened to Cherry Mahan? Authorities do officially consider Cherry's disappearance and abduction versus a runaway. Despite pulling over countless vans and researching even more, no van or any vehicle for that matter has been seized in connection with Cherry's case. And there's never been a suspect or person of interest named either. We know her trail didn't stop at Cornplanter Road, but as far as the investigation goes, this does appear to be as far as they've gotten in nearly 40 years. Some have theorized that if someone in that van took Cherry, that maybe the mural on the side wasn't painted on, but just a sticker affixed to the van before the abduction for easy removal afterward. And as I mentioned, Janice has been working with psychics to help get answers in Cherry's case, specifically the Vincent sisters. They theorize that two or three males from the area took her, and both the blue car and van were involved. Janice has also said that she holds out hope that Cherry was taken and kept safe, that she's out there somewhere alive just living her life, now in her late 40s. Of course, authorities did look into Cherry's mother and stepfather. They administered polygraphs, and in the end, they were cleared. They also looked into Cherry's biological father, and he was also cleared. But Janice isn't convinced that he isn't connected somehow in some way. See, Cherry's conception was a tragic one. Janice was raped when she was just 15, and later had Cherry at age 16. Her biological father was never in Cherry's life. And while, like I said, authorities have cleared him, Janice can't help but wonder if someone he associated with was responsible for Cherry's disappearance, though she's never stated specifics about her theory. In the end, we don't know what happened to Cherry Mahan but her legacy does live on through the Have You Seen Me program. In 2010, a man named Sam Fasto spoke at a press conference and told his story of how the program directly led to his recovery after he was abducted at the age of 10. He was abducted from New Jersey in 1997. His photo was mailed out as a part of the program. 
He was recognized, law enforcement was called, and he was recovered from Texas in November 1998. It really is just that simple. Share the photo and hope someone sees something and says something. At the same conference, more stories of recovery were shared. Seven-year-old Crystal Bundello was abducted from Pennsylvania in 1993. Residents in Riverside, California saw her photo featured as a part of the program. She was later recovered in December 1995. The list of recoveries goes on and on. According to reporting by Mercury News, by 2011, more than half of the thousands of the children featured in the program Cherry Inspired had been recovered, including 150 as a direct result of the mailers. But of course, Cherry remains missing. Which brings me right to our call to action. Cherry has helped bring so many children home and answers to even more families. Please take a moment to share her photo. And maybe someday, she can be added to the list of Have You Seen Me success stories. There is always hope. As a reminder, Cherry Ann Mahan was last seen on Corn Planter Road in Winfield Township, Pennsylvania on February 22, 1985. She was eight years old at the time. She was last seen wearing Cabbage Patch Kids earmuffs a gray coat, white leotard, blue denim skirt, blue leg warmers, and beige boots. Her ears are pierced, and she has a dog bite scar on her left arm. At the time of her disappearance, she was four foot two, weighed about 68 pounds with brown hair and hazel eyes. As of recording this episode, Cherry Mahan would be in her late 40s now. If you have any information on the circumstances surrounding Cherry's disappearance, please call the Pennsylvania State Police Missing Persons Unit at 717-783-5524 or Crime Stoppers at 1-800-4PA-TIPS. But as always, thank you, I love you, and I'll talk to you next time. Voices for Justice is hosted and produced by me, Sarah Turney, and is a Voices for Justice media original. If you love what we do here, please don't forget to follow, rate, and review the show in your podcast player. It's an easy and free way to help us and help more people find these cases in need of justice. And if you're looking for more ways to support the show, we do have a Patreon page at patreon.com slash voices for justice. Welcome to the Secret After Show. Feels like it's been a while. Uh, first after show of 2024, and let's just get into Cherry's case. I mean, like I said at the top of the episode, Cherry's case just pulled at my heart. 
not only because I really do feel like I owe Cherry something considering the Have You Seen Me program helped my sister Alyssa so much, but again, you guys know I have such a soft spot for these precedent cases. I'm honestly just sick of seeing these kids um, and their cases create these programs while the kids feel a little left behind sometimes. And admittedly, Cherry's case is one of the most unsatisfying cases I have ever covered. It feels like every single lead just didn't go anywhere, or if it did, the police didn't tell us. But that's not something I'm gonna let sway me from not doing an episode. I saw a need, I saw a kid who started this program and her case still needs to be solved, and I just wanted to help. Her case isn't one that tells a great story or gives you any type of satisfaction in terms of leads, tips, conclusions, but that's not why I'm in true crime. So while I get why a lot of people haven't covered this case, I just really hope that you share it. I will say that for some reason, this has been a few weeks of, uh, of a lot of mediums and psychics. A lot of stuff has happened. Like I said in my research, um, one of the things that kept coming up were these Vincent sisters, the Vincent sisters uh, that are psychics. And I will say that Janice, Jerry's mom, um, invited them to come work the case, so more power to them. As long as a psychic is being invited and they're acting with integrity, I have no problems with that, and it seems like the police don't either. Police have certainly consulted lots of psychics, and as long as Cherry's mom is happy, I'm happy for her. But like I said, it's more so about this pattern of psychics. If you guys are Patreon members, um, you might have seen that I posted a never-before-released audio, really a whole episode, uh, on Alyssa's case. And to me, it's pretty crazy. So I am like a cautiously optimistic skeptic when it comes to psychics and mediums. Like, I believe almost anything in this universe can be true. I believe that we know very little about the earth and the universe as a whole. So like, who am I to say what's real and what's not? So again, just like cautious optimism, right? And um, this happened to be something that I totally invited into my life that I agreed to do. I, I asked this person to come on the show. Um, so let me take a step back and tell you what happened. So um, what was it? July uh, 2020, I went on a show, a, a reality TV podcast, actually, with Kate Casey. And she was fantastic, very, very nice. And at the end of the interview, she basically said, um, I want to connect you with this uh, celebrity medium I know. His name is Jonathan Mark. I think he can really help you. And I'm game. I'm always game. Like, let's talk about it. Let's try. Why not? So I had a reading with Jonathan, and he was really nice, really sensitive, really fantastic. I didn't record that reading. That was just a personal thing that was never meant to be content. And then he was telling me more about how he worked with the police and, you know, he just, he gave off good vibes. So I invited him for an official interview that was supposed to air during the first season of Alyssa's podcast. It was like one of the next episodes that was supposed to come out. But then, if you guys remember the timeline, we talked in July 2020, and um, actually, during that recorded interview that I just posted on uh, Patreon, he says, your sister keeps saying, uh, keep going. There's a major break in the case that's about to happen. And wouldn't you know it, a month later, less than a month later, my dad was arrested for Alyssa's murder. So I don't know, I, I think it was just in the spirit of New Year, uh, keeping an open mind, 
and revisiting growth. I mean, I sound so different in that episode. I To me, I sound like a baby. I feel like my voice has uh, somehow gotten really deeper and I just, I speak really differently and I don't exactly know why that is. But looking back, I can sense that desperation in my voice. I just, I, I was in such a different spot in my life. I sound so different. And he had that amazing prediction that honestly, I didn't even remember came true until I revisited that episode for Patreon. But that's not it. That's not the only psychic connection that has come up in these last uh, three weeks or so. So I do Cherry's case that um, has this, you know, heavy reliance on these psychics through her mom. Not heavy reliance, I guess I should say. I do Cherry's case where her mom is speaking uh, very much so to these psychics. Then I put out this Patreon episode, completely unrelated, and then um, this creator on TikTok called, I think it's the Bailsky or the Bailsky, um, she stitches one of my videos, and she's a medium, and um, she has a prediction about Alyssa. So uh, it's just crazy. I don't know. I feel like I haven't talked about psychics. It's not something I do a lot here. Um, and all of a sudden, it just started coming up all over the place. So there is something in the air with psychics and mediums, and I don't know what it is. But they are all around me lately. Now, speaking of the new year, I do want to say Happy New Year. Thank you for coming back to the show. Um, I always want I always want to thank you. Like, thank you for being here. Thank you so much for coming back and, and still listening. Um, but also, thank you for allowing me a week off. I haven't really uh, planned that out before. So that was nice to have a planned week off. And I will tell you that I plan to have more of those in the future. So just get ready. I will do my best to have some content for you. But... My goal in 2024 is to find more peace, more balance, more peace while still achieving um, some pretty some pretty hefty goals. So we'll see how that goes. But yeah, in terms of what I'm doing, what I'm reading, um, I read Game of Thrones, <laughs> which is not true crime related. Um, and that was on purpose. I just started the series. I cannot wait for these new seasons to come out. I can't wait for um, George R. R. Martin's new book to come out. I am getting hungry for Game of Thrones. So I went and bought the series um, just to reread it and get some more context. Not very exciting, but I'm a nerd at heart. Um, so my winter break consisted of a trip to Indiana, as I do pretty much every single year, reading Game of Thrones, cleaning my house, playing some video games, and just relaxing. And to be honest, I've had enough excitement in my life. Uh, you know, I really have. So that was a, a great break for me. But let's move on to our segment of hope. And our segment of hope today is going to be very different. It's less rooted in um, a conclusion of a case that inspires us to share these stories and submit tips and more of hope for the future of true crime. So if you guys remember, I featured a case, uh, the case of Leon Lorellis, who was a man who unfortunately lost his life. And um, his niece, Arlene, has been uh, his biggest advocate ever since. And Arlene has started her very own podcast to tell Leon's stories, so I really wanted to share it here. I truly believe that the future of true crime involves so many more families getting involved in telling these stories. And I've said this before, I will never argue the point that family members telling stories are the only source of information that should be out there. I think it's fair to admit that we're biased. But I think it's also fair to admit that there's a lot of fluff and just honestly bullshit in true crime when it comes to telling these stories. And I can tell you that because I used to listen and watch, consume, whatever you want to call it, every single piece of media about my sister Alyssa. 
And I cannot tell you how many people just kind of like make up things to fill in the blanks in a story. And those be little things, right? But they're just small untruths that, um, I don't know, they, they just don't fully represent the story. It would be small things like, you know, people filling in what I probably did on the last day uh, that, you know, my sister went missing, filling in what she probably did at school, just these small untruths that aren't fully representative of the victim that's left behind. So you've heard me tell Leon's story. You might have heard it on other podcasts. It is becoming a, a pretty big story in true crime. But if you want to hear it from someone who actually knew Leon, I definitely encourage you to go check out Arlene's podcast. It's called Box in the Basement, and you can find it wherever you find podcasts. I do think it'd be pretty cool if everybody went over there and maybe left her a nice review, some encouraging words, just a little love. I will say that um, being in a more unique position of being a family member and a content creator, you have the distinct advantage of having the worst of both of those sides. You get all the criticism of being a content creator with all the criticism of being a family member. So, some kind words go a long way. Again, that is Box in the Basement podcast, and you can find it wherever you find podcasts. But, as always, thank you, I love you, and I'll talk to you next time.